Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e-commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space. It's really interesting if you think about the evolution of the return. If you go back 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, the majority of returns would just go back to the original point, back to the manufacturer. RTV. It wouldn't, it just, and it was clean, it was simple. And actually it wasn't clean and simple because you have these beautiful warehouses, you have all this automation, warehouses are pristine, and in the back corner is a mountain of returns that you're right. gonna get to at some point. Right, right, 100%. However, it has now evolved and people realize that this is not a problem, this is an opportunity. Welcome Ecom Logistics Nation. We are excited to be here again at Manifest 2024 with Jeff Wolpov of Rider E-Commerce. Jeff, great to see you today. Dan, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Enjoying the show so far? Yeah, I really enjoy this show. I actually look forward to it every year. You and I were talking prior to the, the broadcast, and, and it really does feel like a LinkedIn event. We yes. are surrounded with friends and colleagues and vendors and emerging brands, and everybody's here to learn. Everybody's here to reconnect. Uh, yes. It's great for relationships. Uh, so it's, it's really good to be here. That's awesome. Someone, yeah, someone was sharing that with me, getting a coffee today. They're like, this is just a live version of LinkedIn. I'm like, that is an awesome way to put it. It really is. It's just an easy show. Yeah. Um, just lots of great conversations, folks that you haven't seen in a while. A lot of learning. The, the sessions are fantastic. The yeah. exhibits are great. Um, really, a lot of really talented people here. So it's been a lot of fun this far. Fantastic. That's awesome. Well, you have a really interesting story. Uh, I think a fascinating journey um, leading up to Rider e-commerce. So would you share share your journey, journey with everybody? Happy to do it. Uh, I was uh, born in a warehouse. Okay. Um, my mother's father, so my grandfather, was a New York City garment on hanger truckman uh, in uh, the 60s and the 70s. Okay. Um, after that, my, my mom met my dad. My dad went to work for my grandfather, and they didn't really get along too well. <laughs> they were very similar people. Right. Uh, so my, my dad went to my grandfather and said, you know, what am I going to get? Am I going to get equity? What's my future here? And my, my grandfather told him to, to, to go take a walk. <laughs> so my father went to a company called Biederman Industries. Biederman okay. in the 70s and the 80s was the first billion-dollar conglomerate of licensed wearing apparel. And so they had Yves Saint Laurent and Calvin Klein and Carl Lagerfeld. Uh, and so it was Ralph Lauren. And so it was a, a very special company at the time and the, the, really the first billion dollar foray into licensing. And so my dad called up Mr. Biederman and said, Mr. Biederman, you've got five licenses. You've got five warehouses. There's a pig farm in Secaucus, New Jersey that they're building warehouses. Why don't we consolidate all of your warehouses into Secaucus and I'll run your warehouses. You keep your five showrooms. And fortunately for my family and for Biederman, uh, Biederman said, that's a great idea. And so my dad started this, this business in 1972. And, oh my gosh, I love that. And 25,000 square feet. Okay. Uh, when he left Biederman, uh, they had a million square feet, shipping about 150,000 units a day. But that was my jungle gym as a kid. Right, uh, right. I would bring all of my high school friends there that, to do inventory <laughs> because they paid minimum wage and they served us pizza. <laughs> During the summers, I drove a truck. So I okay. literally grew up in, in a warehouse. I uh, went off to University of Michigan. Okay. Uh, came back and I was going to be a bond trader. That was it. My right. dad didn't want me to go into warehousing. He wanted to be a, a lawyer, an investment banker, some sort of a professional. Right. Uh, so I went to Solomon Brothers. I was going to oh, be So you did friend. try that for a little bit, huh? Uh, I met the uh, some very challenging and difficult human beings while I was there in a very short period of time. So right. I called up my dad one day and I said, hey, I got to get out of here. I want to do something that's meaningful where I am going to affect people's lives. I want to do something that I enjoy doing and it, it's not here uh, training bonds. 
Right. And so he said, okay, well, I'm a silent investor in a transportation company. You can go be a dispatcher. So after six short weeks, I left Solomon Brothers and, wow. I, and I went to this trucking company, 20 trucks, about a $2 million business. Right. Uh, what I learned very early on, and I didn't really know much, I was a 21, 22-year-old kid, right. uh, was that one plus one should equal two. One plus one shouldn't equal 50 cents. <laughs> and so something wasn't right. So right, I called right. up my dad after about six months there and I said two things. You need to spend more time here and we need to leave. So we took two trucks and three men. And we started my business in 1990 and we did started at $300,000 a year, my first year in business. Wow. Okay. Fast forward 18 years. So I'm an 18 year overnight success story. And what's the name of this company that so you started? So this company was Distribution Solutions. That was okay. my warehouse. Okay. And Jeffco, J-E-F-C-O was okay. my truck because I'm a marketing genius, <laughs> just cutting edge stuff. <laughs> So Jeffco was my trucking company. Sure, sure. Uh, and so I had the, the amazing opportunity to work with my dad for 18 years. I love that. Uh, and I he was, really do. He was very smart because it was, wasn't his business. I think had I gone into his business, it would have been difficult. Family businesses are difficult to yeah. navigate. Yeah. But it was a business that we started together. Okay. And he was smart enough to support me, but never really overrode any of my decisions. He certainly let me know when he thought I was wrong. Right, right, uh, right. But it was really going to be my business, our business, and it was going to be my business to make mistakes and to grow and to learn. Right. And so 18 years, we took this business from uh, $300,000 to about $54 million. Man, and then I had the, the really good fortune to sell this business in 2008 uh, into an equity fund. Okay. So the first equity fund was Austin Ventures. Uh, they would partner with a billion dollar CEO and they would say, Mr. CEO, what do you want to do when you grow up? So they partnered with a gentleman named Bob Stull. Okay. Uh, Bob, blue collar kid out of Dayton, Ohio, goes to Roadway as a dispatcher 27 years later, leaves Roadway as the president and CEO of Roadway Express. You know, 27,000 employees, three right, and a half right, million dollars right. for the revenue. Yellow word, uh, Roadway merged. Yep. Bob yep. stayed a couple of years, moved on. Okay. So now okay. they had Bob and Bob had this vision. If you think about the time in 2008, it was a very different market. 100%. So we were a service economy and we were an import economy. So Bob and said, hey, Mr. Equity Fund, we need to be in the gateways providing first mile and last mile distribution services. And How early that was. So Bob called me up and I had a small family business and I gave him the same answer that I gave everybody that called me up. I said, you can't afford to pay me what I want and I can't afford to take what you'll pay. But thank you very much. Right. He said, hey, buddy, just meet me for lunch. I met him for lunch and it just clicked. And so very short order, we actually ended up selling the business in 2008. Timing was okay. Was very lucky. Amazing. Because if the peak is, you know, high, we, know, right, we were almost at the, the zenith yes, of the right, peak. And so right. very fortunate to sell in. Uh, we went out and we bought two other businesses in Southern California. So we we're East Coast and West Coast because my business was based in New Jersey. Okay. And we were off and running and we had about a $90 million business. And what services are you offering at this time? So this time it was, and, and that's a really important point because what I'm going to talk about today is really evolution. Right. It's evolution of my career. It's evolution of our business. It's evolution of retail because, right. you know, the, the only thing that, that's constant is change. That's right. And we've seen some incredible changes. And yes. so that business was really suited to go take large scale wholesalers, brands, and ship them into brick and mortar retail. Okay. So I was doing drage. I was actually doing some uh, retail store deliveries. Okay. Uh, but the majority of what I was doing was in the warehouses, which was really pick, pack, and ship. So yes, we did cross. Powered in, powered out, case. We did case all shipment. that. We did case shipping and we picked eaches. Oh, you did eaches then too. Yes. That was early to do and eaches. So that was a niche for us. Sure. And, and that was actually a core competency for us. Okay. So it was fulfilling wholesale orders going into brick and mortar retail. 
So now it's it's 2008 and we formed Port Logistics Group. We bought these three other businesses, 2008, 2009. We had a $90 million business. At the end of 2009, we had an $80 million business. Right. Right. So this is where I, I consider myself to be the equity fund success story. So, Not because yeah, right. we made equity funds the most amount of money. We, we gave our equity funds a very fair return. Sure. But because I had the good fortune of partnering with two amazing equity funds that believed in our team, believed in our vision, believed in our strategy and empowered us to right. do amazing things. So they said, do you still believe in everything? We said, absolutely. They wrote us another check and we were off to the races. So we're with Austin from 2008 to 2014. In 2014, okay. Austin traded out and Endeavor Capital came in. Another just amazing group of people that just empowered us to do terrific things. And so okay. we were off to the races. But in 2014, it was interesting because we said, hey, I think we got it wrong because the wholesaler doesn't really make the decisions. At that time, we thought the retailer made the decisions. Okay. So we started to really focus on retail. And so we got great accounts like uh, H&M and Raw Stores. And, yeah. and just, just Macy's and, and really terrific retail accounts that helped to supplement our business without giving up any of our pick, pack and ship wholesalers going into brick and mortar. Okay. But we were wrong again because it's not a supply chain. It's a demand chain and it's the consumer That's a great that point. makes the final decision. And so then we decided that we were going to reinvent ourselves and we were going to evolve and we were going to take our business and become omnichannel and really focus on D to C. And we had a five-year plan. And this, we this is get. what year now? Just this uh, is about 2015. 15, okay. And so we decided that we were going to focus and we were going to change our business. And at that time, I had one e-commerce customer that did about 4% of my business. Okay. Today, we have about 55% e-commerce. So it's been a, just a complete and total reinvention of who we are and what we do. Right, right. So fast forward to 2017, we ran across a company called Whiplash. Yes, uh, it was on purpose. You know, we wanted to continue to, to dive deeper into e-commerce. We believe that was the trend. Uh, we knew that we had a stick to change, which is very hard. We had to hold each other accountable. And we had to transform our business away from wholesale and away from retail and get really focused on direct-to-consumer and complete that omni-channel circle. Right, right. So we, we found Whiplash and, you know, we were turning over rocks and we kissed a lot of frogs and we finally found a good one. So describe Whiplash real quick for everybody. Because very tech-centric organization yes. too, but just to put that into perspective for everybody. Yes, it, it was tech forward. Right. Uh, it was tech enabled. Everything about the company was really focused on the platform, right. uh, on the WMS and the light OMS functionality of the platform. So they were a homegrown solution at that it time? It was three founders. They yeah. were bootstrapped. Uh, they had a partner network of warehousing. Okay. So they were an okay warehouse provider, but they had a terrific system. So were they... Almost early in the 4PL? They were, phase. they were, I mean, very no one early. even knew what 4PL was at that point in time, probably. And, and they had an evolution. They were set up. There was a band called Modest Mouse. Okay. And these guys were one of the founders was the manager. Okay. And so they actually started creating a whiplash platform to ship merchandise for Modest Mouse. <laughs> that's the, that's the, Genesis of right. the WebOS platform. Okay. So they had this amazing technology and we were a terrific service provider. Right. But we had a legacy WMS. When we combined these two entities, our business just took off. Wow. And we were really focused on merging brands. That was really because we prided ourselves on being able to run faster than our brands could. Right. Which right. is a very difficult thing to do. With operational excellence. Brands. So you're, you've got the technology, forward thinking technology, and then you have operational execute, uh, operational excellence, which actually is really hard to find in yes. the market. And then we got some of these emerging brands that just took off and we just held on and went for an amazing okay. ride. 
Okay. And so the business really just took off. And we were thinking about rebranding because Port Logistics Group was kind of legacy, old school, old economy name. Right. But Whiplash, it really symbolized what was going on in right. the market. Yeah, that's the right. change and the chaos of changing from uh, the brick and mortar into e-com and creating this omni-channel. So in 2021, we actually rebranded as Whiplash. Okay, right. And then at the end of 2021, the beginning of 2022, we found our ultimate partner and we had the great fortune of selling into the Ryder family. What a story. It's been, uh, what it's a been story. an amazing ride. That is ride. really a, an amazing, uh, an amazing, amazing ride and journey. And I love that. I mean, you basically grew up in the warehouse, like you said, and, um, you know, it, I didn't start that early, but I started, I launched a 3PL in the basement of a bridal shop back in the late nineties. And I've just been hanging on for dearly ever <laughs> since. And, uh, that, that I, I really love that. So, so now we've gone through that. We've got rider e-commerce. So is that, if you, if we think about that, is that like an acceleration of whiplash technology and platform powered by the rider network of distribution centers? How, is that the, how it all is coming together? So Ryder is a, a 12 plus yeah, billion amazing. dollar, 90 plus year old public company. Right. Um, and people still think of Ryder sometimes as the legacy Ryder, you know, trucking and. Yeah, exactly. A, Two years ago was the first time in the history of this company that supply chain was actually bigger than uh, transportation. Okay. For the first time ever. And so if you think about it, then this was a, 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 a this was revolutionary. Because right. yes, the market historically thought of us as a truck leasing and maintenance right. business. Right. Now for the first time, our supply chain business is a bigger entity than our truck leasing wow. and maintenance That's business. That's awesome. And it's it's what you would expect any large scale supply chain business to be. So there's right. automotive and aerospace and industrial and tech and and healthcare and and CPG. Right. And they had a small e-commerce business. Okay. Um they looked at it like their legacy business. Their legacy business is Fortune 100, Fortune 200 companies. Sure, sure. It's kind of one customer per warehouse. It's right. open book cost plus. Yeah. Well, our customers or the e-com customer isn't that customer. Right. Our customer needs you to run faster than they can. They yeah. need you to embrace the change. They need you to be able to scale. And so Ryder built out this e-commerce business like they were doing their legacy customers, but it wasn't the right fit. So they decided that instead of trying to build it, they were going to buy it. Okay. And so this is where my team got very lucky because we came into an organization, Ryder, fantastic company, fantastic company to work for, great people, great culture, very customer centric. Yeah. We came into this organization that fit our culture. And instead of them kind of taking over us, we came in and we took over their e-commerce business. And so it allowed okay. our team to stand up. It allowed our team to take ownership. It allowed the Ryder folks to come join our, our team. Right. And so it was just a perfect marriage of two businesses with a common culture, except we were bringing a little bit of fresh air and right. we were embracing the new economy and, and Ryder is as well. What Ryder has been doing through some of these investments, through their commitment to technology, what you said very early on is very true. Uh, it is tech enabled, it is tech focused, it is tech driven that allows us to differentiate ourselves in a marketplace, allows us to gain efficiencies and be more productive and take care of our customers. I think that's a great story. And unfortunately, a lot of M&A activity that happens in the space is the, you don't find that that cultural fit because, you know, kind of dedicated warehousing that's cost plus or fixed variable. and then 
that organization has to go through this change management of like adopting transactional based pricing, shorter contracts, you know, evolving footprints, you know, more a hundred customers in one. Yeah. More credit risk. More credit risk. A hundred percent more credit risk. Like, what do you mean you're not doing a uh, D&B? Yes. What, what do you mean you're not doing a credit financial risk assessment? Yes. Um, when you might get a phone call and that someone might have to make a transition and be live in a couple of weeks. So it's that fast, fast turn. Exactly. Um, where, yeah, I, I respect that what, what's going on at Ryder. That, that's a great story. And change is hard. Sure. Uh, committing to the change is even harder. Right. Uh, and we've been lucky with both equity funds that they empowered right. us to do amazing things. And that's right. how I feel about the Ryder leadership. Yeah. Uh, they've really empowered us to do amazing things. So right. we've grown this business. We, we've doubled it in the last uh, two years since they acquired oh, us. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, we were at a, a record pace. You know, we're in, COVID was a very interesting time and it was so terrible for so many people. Right. But it was fantastic for the distribution business. Right, right. If you were doing 80% of your business in retail, 20% of your business in e-com, it flipped the switch. You were right. now doing 80% of your business in e-com and 20% of your business in, in a, and we were just in the right place at the right time because we had that core competency from back in the right. day when we were doing wholesale eaches, right. going into right. brick and mortar. So we knew how to do eaches. We also had an omni-channel background because we had a wholesale background going into B2B. We had a retail background servicing retailers uh, for their own accounts. Right. And then we had a, a growing and thriving e-com business. So we had all of the disciplines in place that we knew how to pick eaches. We knew how to manage right. complex SKU inventories. We knew how to slot, we knew how to batch, we knew how to wave. We knew how to deal with the tremendous uh, uh, peaks and the valleys that come with e-com and right. come with retail. So we just happened to be in the right place at the right time and our business just skyrocketed. That's that's fantastic. Well, that, that tells me that you're going to have a really good pulse on what, just as your business has evolved, so has what brands and retailers at Outsource Fulfillment their needs and what, the, you know, what a, a true strategic partner looks like in this space. Yes. So obviously pre-pandemic, a lot of digital native brands, um, a lot of retail only. And, you know, working with a lot of 3PLs like B2B, whether that's retail distribution or drop shipping, um, you'll take that. So long as 80, 90% of the business is direct to consumer. And now you see that have to shift to be able to, you know, truly offer an omni-channel solution. So we just love your perspective on, you know, what are you hearing from the brands that are looking to have, maybe they're outsourcing for the first time, or maybe they're looking for, for their second, third, fourth provider. Yes. Uh, president of, of Whiplash at the time was a gentleman named Greg Morello. And he used to stand up in front of our team with our team together. And he said, what is a brand? And, and a brand is just as simple as, as your promise delivered. So you've got to deliver on your promise and that's your brand. And so whether it's our brand as Whiplash or as Ryder or right. whether it's our consumer's brand, the important thing is making sure you're delivering on that promise to the customer. Right. And so folks that are successful today are folks that are embracing that, that are important to the customer, that are giving the customer a terrific bang for the buck in the customer's own perception. Right. And right. so that's really important. What's really driving business today is customer retention. That is what's driving business today. It's the new customer acquisition. Because CAC is so high with Meta and Apple and all the changes that are going on there. So it's all on LTV. It's getting repeat business. And I read somewhere that it is five times more expensive 
to acquire a new customer than it is to retain an existing customer. Interesting. And so that's where the focus is. So and deliver so on that promise. You have to deliver on that promise. You have to delight that customer every time. Right. Because the customer has many options at their fingertips. Right. And you right. only really get one chance right. to upset a customer before they start looking for something else. Awesome point. Awesome point. Maybe, I don't know, along those lines, from a customer perspective, I mean, I can remember, you know, 10 years ago, the branded experience was really important, right? So custom box, tissue, maybe a spray a little perfume in there, you know, personalized gift card or note was really important. And I'm wondering if you're seeing any change in that as far as that still being important versus maybe speed and having kind of like an Amazon delivery experience or is it a blend of both? Maybe it just depends uh, on it, product and everything. It depends on the customer. It yeah. depends on the price point. It depends on the product. Right. Um, but you're, you're right. So when that customer gets that packaging and they open up that package, if it's an e-com customer, digitally native e-com customer, yeah. that's their brand experience. That's, that's them their walking into the store. Right. Right. Now you have to measure it. You have to measure it with affordability. Uh, obviously it's less expensive right. to put it into a poly mailer than it is to put it into a box. Right. You have to deal with porch piracy. Mm, you're, you're point. out there, you're flashing. This right. is expensive. <laughs> right. This is valuable. Come right. take me. So you have to, so we're seeing creative branding where you may open up the packaging, but it's branded on the inside. Okay. okay. And so it really does depend. I would tell you that about 50% of our customers are very focused on their brand on, okay. on, on, as far as the packaging on the inside of the box, on the outside of the box. And That's about, a big percent. And about 50% are very just focused on uh, sustainability is important. Recycled yeah. okay. packaging is, is important. We could talk a little bit more about that later. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's important. And I would say it's, it's, it's about that. However, I would tell you that that brand experience is much more than just packaging. It's the touch points. It's the visibility to the shipment. It's the tracking. It's the tracing. It's the transparency of the delivery. It's right. the follow-up after you receive that package. It's the ease of the return. All right. of these elements go into enhancing that brand experience. And that is paramount today. I also have to say that... Omnichannel, and when you talk about change in retail, we, we've seen one of the most significant changes of retail in, in the last 10 years that, that sure. I've ever seen. I've been doing this over, over 30 years. Right. And if you're just digitally native, you're going to start to find other channels. You may go into home shopping. You may go into a catalog. You may open up a kiosk. You may create a wholesale business. You may open up your own store. But you need to find other verticals. And if you're a wholesaler, you're going to have retail partners. You may open up your own store. You may have your right. own .com presence. Right. And if right. you're a retailer, you may do a partnership with somebody and you may launch your goods in somebody else's store. Right. And so what we're seeing today is the truth, at least my definition of Omnichannel, is just allowing the customer to buy the goods any way the customer wants to buy them and then make sure you right. deliver them and exceed their expectations. I love that. I love that. And I mean, we saw that with companies like, and Warby Parker was probably a little early, yep. um, but you know, companies like Glossier, which again, taking digital native and having their own stores, yes. leveraging um, retailers. How are you, are you seeing the mix with marketplaces? Like it, it seems like most brands that were kind of fighting the Amazon model or are now saying, hey, we're going to open it. We're going to be more diverse and we're going to put some inventory, maybe bun special bundles, still make it necessary to go to dot com or go to retail to to get maybe some 
key skews, but really have to kind of go down the path of marketplace. Uh, absolutely. If, if you go back in time and you think about Macy's Herald Square. Yeah. Most of my customers would put goods into Macy's at a loss because right. it was incredibly important for them to be there for their brand recognition, right? for their advertising, for their PR. Amazon is a fantastic organization. They have transformed and they have disrupted the industry. Absolutely. It is important as a, a certain channel within your distribution that you have that sort of a presence. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on an opportunity. Right. One of the things is it is a little dangerous to have all of your eggs in one basket, whatever that right. basket is. Right. We really haven't talked about data yet. Because if you there. think about some of the changes that are coming today, fast and furious, it really is about the data. And Amazon controls the data. And right. so that is a little bit of a pain point for certain customers that value their customer experience because they don't necessarily control that That's right. when they're shipping Amazon. So Amazon plays a very important role. Amazon is a fantastic company, a truly a disruptor. It could play a pivotal role in, in, in people's businesses. Other people decide to opt out. Right. That that's not the experience they want to have their customers. And they may be in other marketplaces. Marketplaces are just virtual retail stores. That's right. And so it's that's just right. another opportunity to sell your goods to people that want to buy them. Right. And that's the essence of what our customers are looking for. Well, you, that is a, that's a great point, too, because, again, you're losing the data. And we just talked about customer acquisition costs, 5Xing, the importance of LTV. And what I've been finding personally doing you know, shopping on Amazon is not on the outside of the product, but maybe somewhere on the inside, or if it's a notebook, you open it up like inside is some sort of keep something driving me to their.com for the next purchase. And whether it's incentive or um, a discount code to again, try to try to drive some behavior and adoption that way. Their data they know when I am going to buy something before I know I'm going to buy it. Because that's why it will be delivered in five hours. And most yeah. likely that very is scary. positioned very close to my house. Right. right. And not only am I going to buy what I wanted to buy, but they're going to give me suggestions as to other things that I should be buying as a result of what I just bought. Right. <laughs> and they're going to target all of their advertising around what I just bought. Right. If, if you think about Amazon Prime TV, the, the TV streaming, and you yes. think about that, right. they paid, I don't know, $100 million for that Black Friday football game, right? $100 million for a game. Yeah. It's absurd. However, if you think about the power that they have, because they know what you're buying based on your buying, there's not a day that goes by that somebody in my family isn't buying something from Amazon. That's right. So they know what I'm buying. And so my daughter's getting married in a month. And okay. so there was a bridal shower and there was a Congratulations, party. By the way. Well, well, thank you. We're very excited. Yeah. Uh, there was a bad, and, and so, and we're, we're, we're buying things for the for wedding and shoes and tuxedos. And so they can tailor around our stage in life. And so if I'm watching that game, I'm signed in, they know who I am. They can target the, and, and by the way, this is not new. Facebook and Instagram sure, are targeting right, right. all the, these algorithms are, are really sharp. But the fact that they can now target what I want to buy, I think it show me advertising. If you're watching in a house next door, your advertising may be different right. based on your right. buying patterns. And then if I actually happen to buy it during the game, they can actually track it from the advertisement to what I bought. Just think about the power I, of the data. Right. And data, right. we're just at the infancy of BI and sure. AI and collecting all this data. And if you think about change and what's going to drive change over the next 10 years, it's going to be data. Yeah, I completely agree. As we're getting towards the end, I definitely want to touch on sustainability sure. because it has, it's come up a lot here at Manifest. It's been talked about for decades. 
Um, but it feels like, and maybe regulation are gonna is gonna be the hand that forces significant change. Infrastructure. We need infrastructure yeah. to support it. Obviously, being a rider, uh, we're very into EVs. Sure, you're right. A big part of our initiatives, a lot of focus around it. Uh, my concern, my personal concern, is just the infrastructure to support it. Right. Uh, right. I, I used to own a Tesla. Okay. I got significant charging anxiety. Really? I would need that's, to so that's a it. real thing. It's a real thing. I would need to make sure that that Tesla was charged all the time. If I was going from LA to San Diego, I would stop halfway. And then when I got to San Diego, I would charge it. And okay, so it took me more time. I would have to spend because uh, when I was, I had an apartment in California. Okay. I, I would have to, uh, they wouldn't have a charging uh, station. So I'd have to sit for 45 minutes at a charging station. Has to be easier. So sustainability is 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 a hot topic, right? And so we're doing a lot, whether it's solar panels, uh, whether it's electric yard goats, okay, uh, whether it's recycled packaging, uh, trying to ship less. Uh, you know, these are all yeah, things. These are all kind of driving, right. and we haven't really talked about returns yet. Yeah, let's but go trying to simplify returns, trying to consolidate returns. Uh, you know, making sure if you're able to use the same packaging uh, to do a uh, a, a returnless refund where keep it donate it don't right. send it back these are sustainability drivers it is a hot topic today that is driving the way that we think it's important to our consumers to our customer our customers customer and so it's it's important to us i i i love that you brought up returns and you're right you know you i wonder too with the brands and and i've shopped with these brands that are Oh, don't worry about it. Keep it or donate it yourself. Give it to a charity or give it to a friend or family. And then you just think, my gosh, you, how do they protect the word from getting out yeah. and that yeah. people don't abuse the fact that they're trying to do good and, and they know the unit economics and the sta- sustainability don't justify yeah. the return. Yep. But that, that catches wind. And then the next thing you know, you know, they're out of business. So the other hot topic is returns. Yeah, I've been talking about it nonstop for the past couple of days. Okay. It's really interesting if you think about the evolution of the return. If you go back 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, the majority of returns would just go back to the original point, back to the manufacturer. RTV. It wouldn't, it just, and it was clean. It was simple. And actually it wasn't clean and simple because you have these beautiful warehouses. You have all this automation. Warehouses are pristine. And in the back corner is a mountain of returns that you're right. going to get to at some point. Right. Right. hundred percent. However, it has now evolved and people realize that this is not a problem. This is an opportunity. The return is an opportunity to touch your customer, to, to exceed their expectations, to turn that, that return into an exchange, to turn that return into an in-store moment where not only will they return it and exchange it, but maybe buy something else. Right. Enhance right. that actual customer's experience. What's really driving returns today is technology. The technology today didn't exist 10, 15 years sure. ago. You, sure. you look at happy returns, you look at Loop. Uh, I think Loop says that they can, uh, they, they increase the likelihood of an exchange by 40% by using Loop. So that just allows you to continue to cycle through your inventory. Right. right. And so returns are really a hot topic. And so when you think about it, there's so many facets of a return. There's the, the label the generation. There's the consolidation, maybe dropping off at a retail store, maybe shipping it back. Where do you ship it back to? There's the processing, processing. When you think about our business today, in the last five years, labor has gone up 50%. Right. So 50% of my costs in the warehouse have gone up 50%. Rent has gone up 100%. 
So 30% of my costs in, in, in a warehouse has gone up 100%. Right. So what are we driving every day? Productivity, efficiency. Yeah. You have to, and so returns are a part of that. So in my old school returns, maybe I'm processing 15 or 20 units an hour, depending on what we need to do. Right. There's technology today, um, like a G2 or a, a two boxes or an Optoro. There's lots of companies out there right. that have technology today that can take that 15 units an hour to 30. Right. That's a driver of efficiency. That means I can get it back to stock faster. That means you can resell it. That means you can get the refund back to the consumer faster. Right. So there's a lot you can do. But it also means when you think about the, the refund, uh, the, the, the returnless refund, right. you can now monitor the customer. You can reward good behavior. You can take care of the people that take care of you. And then you can make it more challenging and difficult for the customers that do take advantage of the situation situation. because the technology exists today. So you have your eyes and you have your ears that allows you to benchmark and measure and make sure you're taking care of the customers that you need to take care of. I find that really, really interesting. What are your thoughts on, I I heard an interesting stat from a gentleman I was talking to yesterday who's been in the reverse logistics for a couple of decades. And he said, 10 years ago, 90% of product that was returned was RTV returned to vendor. He said, now it's like 10%. And it's all about trying to monetize that inventory, whether it's selling in a still like a branded secondary market, but or, or re-commercing. Yes. And we were just having a discussion a couple hours ago, where you could look at some brands where maybe it's a a high demand skew that's hard to find. They could actually sell that for a higher price than what it was originally sold for. So I think the adoption there not being afraid of like when you talk about the sustainability loop, like reverse and returns plays a big, big part in that. Yes. If you think about goods coming into my warehouse, they'll come in a container. You could have 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 items in that container. Right. Really efficient, really effective. Think about a return coming. It's coming back from your home. Right. One piece in a box. Right. It's going to go through the entire supply chain to come back into the warehouse that I have to process one box, one piece. It's broken. Right. It's right. very, it's inefficient. And so there's a huge push right now to how do you, how do you make that more efficient? Yeah. How do you make, because there's a tremendous opportunity. So there's two components of this. One component is certainly price. Yes. Sure. You could be spending good money after bad. Absolutely. Right. In, in most cases, you are. Right. However, you can get it back to stock and you have an opportunity to resell it. But then there's the impact that you have on the customer, right? Where you have that loyalty, that brand loyalty with the customer. Well, they'll stay with you because of that experience and they'll continue to order your product. And so this is an opportunity for you to get better, uh, a better relationship with the customer, for you to have more meaning with the customer, for you to build loyalty with the customer through the return process. I love it. I love it. Jeff, I feel like I could talk to you for like 17 hours, man. This has gone really fast. Awesome. I love hearing your story. Love where you're taking it and, and what you're providing with Rider e-commerce. Um, maybe just we'll put everything in the show notes as far as links. But sure. maybe if you just tell the audience real quick where, you know, where's the best place to follow you, whether that's Twitter or LinkedIn and where to learn more about Rider e-commerce. Great. Thank you. Uh, LinkedIn is probably best. OK. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing tool. It's, it's, a, it's a great connector. Right. Um, so I would say LinkedIn, uh, Rider.com, uh, you know, terrific website. We're doing some great things in marketing and social media. We've got some terrific TV commercials coming out. Our partnership cool. with Sam Ryder. Uh, most importantly, I, w- I would tell you that is, is it's all about the team. Yeah. Uh, we've got the best team in the business. The folks at Ryder are fantastic. 
uh, really care about the customer, care about each other, care about our business. The culture drives our business, this customer-centric mentality that we realize that we're a partner with our business. A growing customer is our best sales tool. And as our customers continue to flourish, our business will continue to flourish. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Really my, enjoyed my it. My pleasure. Yes. Hi, I'm Ninad Acharya, CEO and co-founder of Fulfillment IQ. And I'm here with... Dan Call, CRO and partner at Fulfillment IQ. We're the team behind the Ecom Logistics Podcast. Our mission is to provide you with genuine insights from our work alongside logistics leaders to help you improve your supply chain. In the Ecom Logistics Podcast, we share the knowledge and the insights we've gained from working alongside amazing brands, retailers, 3PLs, and VCs, so you can make the most out of your supply chain journey. If you like what you're hearing, we'd truly appreciate your support with a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting channel. Your feedback not only keeps us going, but also helps others find the podcast. If you think Fulfillment IQ can assist you, or if you have an idea related to logistics, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm always up for a chat and ready to explore new possibilities together. Stay tuned to the Ecom Logistics Podcast on your favorite podcast platform for fresh and practical insights into e-commerce and logistics. Until next time, let's keep making a difference in logistics together.